Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. This week has been an interesting week, at least for me, because as I've been walking through the week, what what I have experienced and felt is a, in a sense, maybe even a line in the sand or a turning point, and at the same time, pretty intense warfare. Jesus says to the apostles in Acts chapter one, he says that they would receive power and telling them this, he also includes us in that statement. He says, you will receive power when the spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And so, as Kyle even referenced last week, they were waiting and praying together in a room. They waited and prayed together for 10 days. From the ascension of Jesus to the day of Pentecost, which Acts 2 starts out at. Pentecost was the Jewish feast that was highly celebrated. In the Old Testament, it was called the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of First Fruits. And it occurred 50 days after Passover. It was one of three Jewish pilgrimages that Jews from all over the world would, would, would travel back to Jerusalem if they were able to celebrate Pentecost. By the first century, Pentecost was a celebration of the old covenant that that Moses received from God on Mount Sinai, and it was a renewal of their devotion to the law, which is interesting and fitting for what happens next. Because these Jewish faithful have gathered together to celebrate the old covenant and their renewal to obedience. But the question that, that I think we start with is how long are we willing to wait for God to do something? How long is long enough to wait for God? How long is too long? When when, when we pray for something, I mean, is is God kind of like a college professor where it's, you know, like if he's not there in what, the first 15, 20 minutes, you can just leave? Or, or, or is there a, a longer time span that we rightfully should wait for God? I mean, one day, five, 10 days, a month, three years, 10 years? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, talking about a bunch of faithful believers. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Scripture seems to tell us that there is no amount of time that is too long to be waiting on God for his work to happen. 
It's probably not our timeline, but it's God's timeline. So I'm gonna read Acts chapter two, starting in verse one. Acts chapter two, verse one. What we, what we see is the believers gathered together, the, the apostles. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Perga, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. And so here, in Acts chapter two, what we need to understand is this is all God's doing. The apostles didn't offer anything other than waiting. They simply waited. They didn't prepare anything. They didn't create an environment so God could work. They didn't do some training they waited and prayed and nothing happened for 10 days. They filled their time with praying and at one point Peter got up and he said, hey, we need to replace Judas and, and they walked through that process, but there was no development. It wasn't like there was something that happened at day, day six and somebody was like, oh man, I really feel a spirit coming. They waited. We love to see development, don't we? <laughs> if we don't see something happening, we assume it's not happening. If, if we don't feel like something's coming, if we don't see progress, if we don't see even a hint, I just wanna see some evidence of something happening, but there was nothing for 10 days. And the text says, suddenly, Suddenly, and you can take that at face value, all of a sudden when there was nothing happening before that moment, suddenly there came from heaven a sound. Here's the thing that we need to understand. The spirit is free and sovereign and not bound to anyone's timing or anyone's technique for how to get his power. 
the Spirit moves, not because of us, but he moves because of him. So interesting how half of the Protestant church borderline, borderline ignores the Holy Spirit and the other half of the Protestant church tries to control the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Probably neither of those are good approaches to the Holy Spirit. See, we rely on his daily indwelling presence and grace, walking in obedience of faith and pray constantly for the outpouring of his power, but we cannot make the spirit move. He loves and he serves, but he determines his own schedule. None of us are the Holy Spirit's administrative assistant. As much as we'd like to believe that. He moves in his own timing. I think it's, I think it's incredible where, where in the text it says that there was nothing and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a mighty wind and then it says there was fire in the room. Wind and fire, symbolic of God's presence and the Spirit's arrival. We look to the Old Testament to see that God so often was identified in wind and identified himself in fire. What's interesting about wind and fire that maybe we as Californians know more than maybe other places in our country, is there anything that mankind can do to stop a wildfire when there is a mighty wind behind it? With all of our technology, with all of our equipment, is there anything that we can do? There's nothing. What do we pray for in the winter or in the, in the summer when, when there's a wildfire? We pray that the winds would die down because no one can fight a fire when it is fueled by the wind. That's the power that the Holy Spirit's being described with in Acts chapter two. The Holy Spirit is an untamed, uncontrollable power because he is like fire fueled by wind. I think it's interesting that you've got this fire that, that comes in this room, but is not a destructive fire. It comes on this, in this room and it says, and divided tongues, whatever those are, sat and rested on each of, of them in there. I want you to catch this. It was one fire that divided to all people. One fire that divided. One spirit, one Lord, one gospel, one confession, one faith. And, and, and so... One of the questions that I, that I had as I walked through this is, is what power at this point do you think the disciples, the apostles are thinking and expecting? Because Jesus said earlier, when the spirit comes, you'll receive power. And now fire came down from heaven. There's the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And now they're looking at each other and they've all like become mutants with the power of fire visibly because they've got fire on their heads. 
and they're not getting harmed by it. I mean, I would, I would say, I would guess that, that it is a, a reasonable understanding that maybe in that moment, they may have been kind of like, hey, we're all like Elijah. We can call fire anytime we want. We've got the power of fire. We're gonna go out and nothing can stand in our way of completing our mission. I mean, that feels like a moment of intense power and significance. And it says that every one of them was filled with the Spirit. Again, one, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is one member of the Godhead, the Trinity, three in one. The Spirit is the same kind of person as Jesus is in character and virtue. Jesus says, I have to go away so that the Spirit can come. And what will he be? He'll be your comforter, he'll be your guide, he'll be your helper. He will be your life. And, and, so, and so going back to that idea, I wonder what the disciples were thinking that this power would be. And then it says this. It says that they began speaking in foreign languages. Languages that they hadn't studied or learned, but they began speaking in, in, in distinct foreign languages. Now, that's cool and all. I'm, I am terrible with language. The pandemic has been a nightmare on so many levels, but I can't hardly understand someone with an accent, let alone put a mask over their face. Like, it is game over for me. <laughs> but languages. Do you think that speaking in a foreign language is a bit of a letdown when you've just seen fire and wind to the point that, that it is extraordinary and you don't even know what to do about it? And then what that results in is, oh, I can speak French. I don't know, I feel like that's a little bit of a letdown. <laughs> I mean, I thought I was gonna be able to do cool things. Now I can just like, like order a baguette. But here's the thing. They began speaking in foreign languages fluently that they had not learned. This is different if, you, if you're kind of like, okay. And, and I, I hate how translators have translated Acts chapter two because they keep saying, and they spoke in other tongues. I don't know if tongues is a great, helpful thing. Just translate that as, and they spoke in other known foreign languages that they had not learned. <laughs> Because this is a different scenario than what we see in 1 Corinthians 14, which Paul talks about the gift of tongues and or speaking in tongues and then interpretation. That's a two-step process. That's not speaking in a language that you understand yourself. That's not speaking, whatever that is, that's speaking, and it's, there's a necessity for someone to interpret what you're saying. That's not what was happening in Acts 2. And I think it's important for us to recognize that. You see, this event is unique and it marks a major movement forward in the plans of God toward the renewal of all things. I want you to hear this because I think this is, is the critical, one of the most important things that we need to hear, especially in our time. The power of the Holy Spirit coming in language 
is a grace that replaces our conception of power over people with power for people. How many of you see the distinction between power over people and power for people? Jesus says to his disciples, you don't exercise authority and power like the Gentiles do who lord it over, power over people, but you serve one another, power for people. And I can't help but wonder if the disciples were like, hey, we're gonna have power over people because that is our human default setting. You know what power over people is? It's passing laws. That's power over people. You know what power for people is? It's learning their language and speaking in intimate ways to them that connect with their heart. You see, what the Spirit does in this moment is abundantly clear. Our way, the world, what we're born into, even the church, oftentimes practices power over people because it's easier. It's just easier. But the power available to us through the Spirit is power for people. You see, to speak a language is to speak a people. My freshman year of college, I was a business major. Thank goodness for all entrepreneurs that I did not stick with that. <laughs> but our our. Schooling was, was two semesters and January was a January term for different classes and, and trips. And so my freshman year in college, I, I went with the business department on a European business trip for the entire month. And so we flew into uh, Amsterdam and then we went across a number of countries in Western Europe visiting businesses and, and, and being exposed to, to that part of the world and for about three, little over three weeks, we were in these countries. I was in Frankfurt when the Gulf War broke out. And even before that and after that especially, there was a lot of anti-American sentiment in Western Europe. So while most people there can speak English, once they saw that you were Americans, they did not want to speak English to you. So it was about three, little over three, between three and three and a half weeks where I was in Europe and no one would speak English. Our last stop was London. And we flew into Heathrow Airport and got out onto the streets in London and I felt like I was home. <laughs> I mean, they talked funny like people from Texas, but I felt like I was home because they were speaking my language. I felt like these people were my closest friends. I felt like they saw me, they knew me, even though they didn't. But I felt like there was this intimate connection with these people that I had never met, probably have nothing in common other than they were speaking in a way that I could understand them. See, language is intimate and communicates honor and value. I 
I mean, when you think about even today, when we, when we talk about people and, and, and just kind of laying aside all the other things, we expect people to speak our language in order for us to give them the time of day, don't we? We take maybe three years of Spanish in high school and we're like, yeah, we tried, we did our best. Now you should uh, pretty much acquiesce to me. <laughs> Do you think that going to Mexico on a trip and implementing your three years of Spanish in high school you think the people you're talking to down there say, man, this person really values me because they really nailed my language. <laughs> we expect people to speak in ways that we understand and we connect with and speaks value to us. That's what the Spirit did on Pentecost. All that power that God has and how was it interpreted? It was interpreted into a language that connected with every person's heart. If we are serious about the lost, you're welcome to push back on this if you need to. But if we are serious about the lost, we will learn how to speak with them on their terms in ways that connect with their hearts. And if we're not serious about the lost, then we will tell them the truth in the language that suits us best. And I think in a lot of ways, we've been speaking the truth to the lost in our language because it's easiest for me to do. We're not great at listening and understanding what's going on. So I wonder if, if my attempts to connect to how they speak, how they understand, and it doesn't even have to be a foreign language, it can be English on English, and we're still not speaking the same things. How often do I engage the lost on my terms rather than follow the example of Jesus and being incarnated and not holding on to my rights as the boss and enter into their language. You know, one of the, one of the images that this passage in Pentecost brings up is, is Genesis chapter 11, where, where God and, and is talking with, with, with with these spiritual beings and he says, look what they're doing and, and he says that mankind has one language and they're all together and they're united and they're building this tower called Babel and they want to reach heaven and, and he says, we're gonna go down and confuse their language so that they won't be able to get anything done. Isn't it interesting that in Genesis 11, God separated people by confusing their language and in Acts chapter two, he may not have reversed Babel, but he placed it on a redemptive path. God didn't confuse their language. He miraculously brought them together, speaking language through them. I think that's significant in the new covenant versus the old covenant. See, at Babel, Earth tried to reach heaven, but at Pentecost, 
heaven came and touched earth. That's the difference. We were never made to reach heaven, but God in all of his glory was meant to reach us. And, and so, and so we, we've got this display and, and, and vision of the power that the, that, the, that the disciples experienced that Jesus had promised would happen. And so now, as we go on, we, we see that now there were Jews, God-fearing people from all over, and there's this list of so many. These are the diaspora Jews, those who've been d- divided and, and separated for decades and, and, and decades and decades to the point where wherever they live, they've lost their grasp of their own language and they've been raised. My, my mom was 100% Romanian. I don't know Jack in Romanian. <laughs> my mom didn't know anything in Romanian either. She didn't know her own language. That didn't make her less Romanian. But that's where these Jews are, are in. And so, and so they come with all of these different languages and different dialects and different, different accents. And there's this pilgrimage to the day of Pentecost from the Middle East and North Africa and even Eastern all the way to Western Europe and the empire beyond. So you had people of, every, of all kinds of ethnicities in that context. They're in Jerusalem. You see, when a people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak of the mighty things of God, his salvation and his works. What happened when it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in languages, and what does it say everyone heard in their own language? It said they heard the mighty acts of God. The filling of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life does not result in me having power over people, but it results in me being able to tell the mighty acts of God to anyone who can hear. See, God is using for each group the most familiar linguistic means possible to make sure the message of Jesus reached them in an intimate form, their own language. Pentecost is making it clear to ev- that every language is an appropriate vehicle for the praise and po- proclamation of Jesus Christ. So it is worth understanding and interpreting every language because every language is an ideal vehicle for the praise and proclamation of Jesus Christ. You see, this is, this, this is why God sent his spirit so that the work might get done, so that the apostle John is eventually able to write this in Revelation. After I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every people in every language in every language will be saying that, recognizing who Jesus is. But we run into a problem at the end of this passage. You see, God is at work 
And as often is the case when God works, many who see it have no clue what's taking place. And they make light of it. Many do not see what God is doing even after it's explained to them. Remember what Kyle said? Submission precedes awareness. We don't see what God is doing unless we submit to him. We just make fun of it. We make light of it. See, in in the text, we see two reactions. Verse 12, it says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said, they are filled with new wine. There are two reactions here. What does this mean for us? What, What do we need to do? What does this look like? How does this change my life, my behavior? How does this make decisions for me? And then another group of people said, dismiss it, they're, they're crazy. What will we do with the working of the Holy Spirit? What do we do with the working of the Holy Spirit? Do we hear God and say, okay, what does this mean for me? What am I supposed to do? What is my next step? Or do we say, well, yeah, but that's not literal. Yet that was for then, not for now. God changed over time, so what he said here doesn't really mean this for me today or for us. What do we do with that? Here's what I want you to understand. This is the truth about what I believe God is teaching in this passage in in really the first couple chapters of Acts. This is the truth about those who are found in Christ Jesus. Every disciple is a witness of and for King Jesus and proclaims the gospel and the kingdom of God. That is our one job. You, if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then this morning you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You have the same Spirit who came in the power of wind and fire and settled as these tongues of fires over these disciples. You have the same Spirit as they had, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the same Spirit who did all this work throughout the Bible. You are indwelt by that spirit. And secondly, you are able to make disciples regardless of your time as a Jesus follower or of your, or your uh, education as a Jesus follower. When Jesus interacted with a woman at the well, the text says she ran back to her village, packed her bags, went to Jerusalem Bible College, spent four years there, then came back to her hometown and the town believed because of her knowledge she got from Jerusalem Bible College. I may have added something to that story. That woman, knowing only what Jesus told her, went back and it says that her whole town believed in the name of Jesus because of what she said. You have the Holy Spirit in you and you are able to make disciples. You are. 
But the question I think for us and the question that I believe that the Spirit asked me last Sunday was how often do I live in the filling of the Spirit? Because if I'm not actively making disciples, then I'm not living in the filling of the Spirit. Every disciple daily struggles to deny themselves and take up their cross. It's a constant struggle. Do you wait and pray in obedience until the Spirit moves? Or do you want to see progress, but the Spirit sometimes give us the luxury of showing us what he's doing? And he shows up suddenly. Maybe even after we've thought that he's not going to show up. Do you want power over people or do you want power for people? We have a long history of choosing control over sacrifice as Jesus followers. And those people at the end of this narrative who ask, what does this mean? Or they're drunk. I think those are broken up into two groups of people. The inquisitive and the inquisitors. Inquisitive is saying, okay, well, what does this mean? What should I do? What does this look like for me? What is my next step? If you're inquisitive, you are curious, you're looking, you're saying, how does this work? But what does an inquisitor do? They make judgments because they have power and control. Are you inquisitive today or are you an inquisitor that you just make judgments? I think one of the calls of this passage is for the inquisitors to lay down their sabers and become inquisitive. And so back to what I believe the Holy Spirit said to me last week. It's time to stop trifling with me. I came across the thing that Pastor John Tyson said last Sunday. And I really resonated with me, but, but there's some things that I, that I kind of disagree with. And when he was talking about revival, I'm not talking about revival this morning. I'm talking about the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I think in a lot of ways, we talk, we love to talk about revival because revival doesn't require much from us. It's a wave, it's a movement, it's out there. I think we've confused revival with what God wants from us every day as his spirit fills us and moves us. I think revival might be a cop-out for me not to live filled with the Holy Spirit daily so that I can do my own thing. See, one of the gifts of COVID is this. It showed us that it is possible to have the typical American life completely disrupted and reoriented. If someone was to ask, what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I'd say it's like COVID, but instead of COVID, it is the power and presence of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that changes your habits. It's his presence that determines where you gather. It's his presence that determines where you go to work and how you go to work. He's everywhere and no one can escape his 
presence. And so all lives must be reoriented around him. And that doesn't look like my life. It's unfortunate that COVID transformed us more effectively than the Holy Spirit does. Our lives have to be centered around the presence of the Spirit, the helper, the comforter. But we tend to orient his life around ours. See, some of us this morning in this room and maybe watching want friend Jesus, but don't want King Jesus. We like Jesus as a force for social justice or moral change, but we fail to obey him or challenge him when we disagree with what he said he wants. Some of us here this morning pursue the power of the spirit as power over people that force them to be moral or ethical or right in our eyes, but we fail to sacrificially learn their language and see them in the intimate space that God sees them. Many of us are so committed to our theological camp or our worship preference or our low threshold of offense that we can't even see the movement of the spirit because we, the inquisitors, have judged that pathway as illegitimate. And some of us are living sacrificially filled by the Holy Spirit. See, my life, as I've looked, does not look like it's intersected with the mighty fire wind of the Holy Spirit. I would rather others learn my language, take on my ways and preferences, and, and live out the claim of King Jesus on my life I'd rather do that than live out the claim of King Jesus on my life and proclaim him king of their lives as well. As I was riding my bike last Sunday, I said this out loud while I was by myself. I will not let my faith be the thing that is the barrier for this body of believers. will not let that be the case. I will take the Holy Spirit seriously. I will give the Spirit COVID-like power in my life and he can disrupt and reorient all of it. And I believe that there are many here this morning who see this, who, who the Spirit is confronting right now. Some will act as the inquisitors and dismiss this message as the ranting of someone who He's just taking it too seriously. But others will be inquisitive and ask this morning, what does this mean? Some will even find the courage to deny themselves today and take up their cross. God is not doing a new work in this world. He is doing the same work he has always done. And he's warning us that his work is coming to an end. And we have to tear down our idols and be his witnesses now more than ever. So this morning, I would challenge you where you are 
and whatever's happening inside to take the Holy Spirit seriously right now. Forget about everything else. But are you willing to let God disrupt and reorient everything in your life? We're gonna participate. We're gonna take communion this morning so you can get your packets out. And here's the thing, communion, we talk about in communion how we remember what Christ did. But, but, but in, in, in the text, when, when we read, do this in remembrance of me, it does not mean mental cognition alone. It's not just a memory. It's not recounting something I'm remembering right now that happened. The term remembrance signals an active identity-forming act. Our identity comes, we are reminded of our identity as we participate in communion. Jesus says, this is my body that's broken for you. This is my blood that was shed for you. To what end? To give ourselves to him fully and wholly. Remembering the great act of Jesus through communion entails a dynamic change of life and mindset from sin and nothingness to God and active obedience. And so here's what I wanna invite you into this morning. You have your communion packet. Do business with God. Take God seriously. And as you acknowledge him and remember what Christ did, then take communion. We're gonna spend a little bit of time in reflection and here's what I want you to understand this morning. If there is anything that you need to do business about, do it. If you have a grudge, if you've not actually given Jesus kingship in your life, if you're, being, if you're holding on to your title as inquisitor, if you have been trifling with the Holy Spirit, go talk to someone. I'm not gonna invite the prayer team up right now because we need to do business. If you want somebody to come and talk to you, then just stand up. If you need to go talk to someone, go talk to them. But take remembering what Jesus did seriously. I can't make the Spirit do anything but we need to be open to whatever the Spirit wants to do. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.